0: And welcome to the From the Clubhouse podcast. My name is Tom Irwin, and I am, as ever, joined by my co-host, Steve Carroll.
1: Glad to be back with you, Tom.
0: I am very glad to be back this week, Steve. It's been quite the week, hasn't it, for the for the NCG pod. Number three in the charts. No laying who they've been shouting from the rooftops. I can't believe it, Steve. We've sort of made it, haven't we? We've made it to the upper echelons of the Apple charts. How do you feel about it?
1: The only way is down.
0: what <laughs> why are you so negative This is incredible we're hot on the heels of shields and whatever that bloke off the bbc's called and you're looking down goodness me we're not going to head down though steve because what we're going to do is we're going to ask for more subscribers uh, we'd love more of you to subscribe we're doing really well with our listener numbers which is making us very happy uh, it really would help uh, as many of you as possible uh, subscribed and you'd never miss, miss another episode. Uh, and this is going to be a very special episode of the NCG podcast. We've got a tremendous guest for you later. You will have read the headline. It's Billy Foster. He's one of the most recognisable names in golf, one of the most recognisable faces in golf. He's got 15 Ryder Cup appearances to his name, a major championship, famously, uh, alongside Matt Fitzpatrick last year. Uh, we're absolutely delighted to have him on the show. Um Matt Chivers for NCG spoke to him uh, last week and we've got about 35 minutes of him on lots and lots of topics which I'm sure you'll enjoy. So yeah, that's our big news of the week. Um, This podcast is, as ever, brought to you by Telemade, more specifically their TP5 golf ball and I've been golfing my TP5 quite a lot, Steve.
1: How have you managed that in this weather? You must have been around some links. Uh, well, I've got, yeah, I have exactly. I've got this kind
0: of, um, what's the word, contrarian golf bug at the moment. So I've been out and about doing quite a lot of things. I I um, took my kids to White Ridge last week and used their top tracer range.
1: Have you been there? I have not been to White Ridge to use their top tracer range. I have used one at the course that you don't let me talk about because you're sick of me talking about it. A Close closed house. house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not,
0: yeah, please. I mean, that is very early for a closed house. We're like barely a couple of minutes in.
1: You asked me if, I had, if I'd been to a top tracer range. I've been to a top tracer range there.
0: I am definitely going to get a bell. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, so we were, so I took them there and then I went with another dad. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time with dads these days. You don't choose your friends anymore, your kids choose your dad friends for you. Anyone, this one's a particularly nice bloke, Paul Miller, friend of the show. Um, so he and I used the top trades lanes whilst our kids were having a lesson. And it's, it's amazing. Like the whole thing has just properly revolutionized the driving range experience. We played the back nine on the old course, three and two victory. Thank you. Which if you're playing the back nine on the old course on a simulator to win three and two, it's actually quite irritating because the game then stops. So we missed the road hole and the home hole, which is kind of sort of the point. Uh, and then we played approach shot challenge at Pebble Beach. So and I beat him at that as well.
1: Well, firstly, the handicapping was clearly off. If you were beating Miller three and two, you should have got to the road hole. That's your fault. We played off stick Um, end
0: because handicaps aren't the thing. You know that we've done this. Let's not do this again.
1: Did you do nearest the pin then? Was that no?
0: We did approach shot challenge.
1: Which holes at Pebble?
0: Or the whole entire back nine? I mean, I have played Pebble, so maybe a little bit of uh, course knowledge went a long if it, way
1: if it's early for course for for club brags it's very early for humble brags
0: yeah what sort of noise would you have for cypress Because i played there as well on the same day actually uh,
1: the, the noise would be <laughs> me shutting your mic down
0: yes uh, so that was amazing and i'll tell you what else the driving range was absolutely rammed Like I love White Ridge but when they built it they basically built it about one foot too short so you're always in fear of your life when you're walking behind the ranges and it was just full so you were were queuing up for bays, it was like four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon Uh, I couldn't believe it so I'm saying the golf boom is here to stay
1: Yeah I think that's definitely a thing Um, certainly at the course that shall not be named um, their their driving range is always full the academy is always full when I drive up there and even at at york where i also play um there's a lot of people on the range now i think i think people are getting into practice i mean when i first started playing golf when i started playing proper competitive golf no one went to the range
0: no well i i think it is a big thing that's changed i think the technology's changed it and it is cool like because you can sort of generally have a bit of friendly competition um and it's just much less soul destroying than standing there beating balls and probably better for your golf as well right
1: yeah well the addition of like outdoor simulators, which Top Tracer is, obviously brings a bit of variety, doesn't it? Um, I get bored hitting to targets at a driving range, but to play a virtual course I think does make the experience a bit more stimulating at least.
0: Yeah, yeah it was good. And then I played some actual real proper golf on a golf golf course yesterday. I went to the Wirral's Royal Liverpool, Hoylake, to its friends. I
1: can't believe you. Just name-dropping all over the shop.
0: It was good, actually. I haven't been for quite a while. I didn't play it last year in the run-up to the Open at all. I used to play it a lot during my sort of university days because we played in the same league as uh, Liverpool Uni. Um, I've been on a couple of trips over there. I played with Sam Cooper. Do you know Sam Cooper?
1: I do know Sam. I wrote about Sam and his epic trek around the UK, interrupted by lockdown in a caravan where he tried to play every Lynx course.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it's a massively interesting story. So he, he took his wife and his dog uh, and travelled around in bits and pieces around um, around Britain. His longest stint that he reckons he did was two months, ticking off all of the Lynx golf courses. Um, so it was a work trip because we are hopefully going to uh, launched quite an exciting new project with him um, over the next few months to try and bring some of the stories that he learned on the road to life. He's a really good guy. He's involved with um, Clayton Devries Vries architects who are working on numerous different projects, um, lots of renovation projects. They're doing unbelievably good work at uh, the Addington where they've taken loads of trees out. So he's a very bright lad, understands his golf um, and absolutely humped me in a game of split sixes. Do you know what split sixes is? You look, you look puzzled.
1: If I don't know what split sixes are. I'm hoping you'll explain it to me.
0: <laughs> I genuinely didn't know what happened to you there. I thought you might have had a stroke or something. You were very quiet, very for a very long time. The uh, well, it's three of us, right? So we had to play. You have to play a funny format in a three. I don't know what you would do when you're in a three.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not getting into that.
0: Not that kind of three. Not a, not a menage a trois, Steve. A, gol- a golf. <laughs> three three way not a three not not a three way at all no three ways
1: sam, oh, tom and dan,
0: sam tom and dan played golf what formats were available to them when playing a three ball
1: seven and a half minutes in we've already hitting the deer well did you play so did you play i don't even know how to describe right i'm going to try and describe this as as um neutrally as possible did you play a three-player match play event
0: no because i don't know what a three-player match play event would consist of
1: well there are three of you you each play a match play game against the other you golf one ball
0: not something like nonsense where there's like a mr par
1: no 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 it's just it's just it's just a normal match play event a normal match play game but instead of you taking on one opponent you take on two
0: you now sound like you're being coercive, Steve, trying to get me into this threesome. It's just—it's just normal. It's just normal. This It's just three of us.
1: So where this gets interesting, right? If you think about it logically, where this gets interesting is one person concedes, but the other doesn't. Right. Sorry. Right. I've got I'm,
0: my mind's very sidetracked. So in this normal match play event, let's say it's Tom, Steve, and Dan. Right, so what's happening?
1: So you each play a match play game against each other. So I would play a game against you. I would also play a match play game against Dan. But I would not use multiple balls. It would just be one ball. Um, You would use your ball, Dan would use that ball, and the match play games would take place as they would normally. But there are two games taking place instead of one. So I'm playing both you and Dan at the same time. The way that gets a bit confusing is... I'm four feet away, you decide, yeah, you can have that, Steve. Dan says, absolutely not, you've got to put that in the hole. And that's where the kind of complexity arises. But the rules of golf are exactly the same for this as they are for everything else. Right. Well, no,
0: we didn't do that, no. We didn't do that. We played uh, what I know as a American Stableford, but my small amount of research this morning tells me other people call it a Calcutta or split sixes or a Barracuda. Do you know what that is?
1: I don't know what any of these are. I have heard of a Calcutta, but only in the sense that they were usually involved huge sums of gambling.
0: Yeah, well, this didn't involve any sums of gambling. It involved a lot of trying to play very quickly to get back in and have a cup of tea. So uh, you basically have six points on every hole. If you win it outright, you get four. If you finish second outright, you get two. If you finish second in a tie, you get one. Uh, If everyone gets the same score, you get two each. And then if it's a half between two people and someone else blobs, then they get three each, and the person gets none. I've, and then you add, played, it, yeah. you add it up. It gets very confusing, though, because you try and sort of reduce the score down to the smallest gap. So the differential's correct, but the numbers are smaller. And it gets very, very, very arduous in terms of the maths. But it's good, though. I enjoy golfing a three. I think it's about the right number. Four has always felt like too many, and two's just a risk, isn't it?
1: I've played a Stableford variant of this where... The person who's third gets no points, which I can tell you can be extremely dispiriting if you're ploughing a long round handicap and you've got no points, sort of 12, 13 it can. into it, it
0: Once you, when you've been playing goal for three hours and your score is none, it doesn't really matter if you're only one behind. It's still quite <laughs> depressing. I agree
1: with you. It really is. But I, I take your point on trios. Um, it does feel to me to be a perfect number. Because three people spreads the load, so you don't feel like you have to sort of engage in meaningless conversation all the time. Yeah, and Four is four, just a traffic jam.
0: And you can so, sort of huff off. If, if stuff's not going right, you can kind of huff off for a few minutes, can't you, and get yourself together.
1: Yeah. Without without being... looking like you're distasteful.
0: So there you go. Three is indeed the magic number. You can put that in the show notes like you do. Anyway, yeah, so it's all good. Uh, I have enjoyed getting out and playing golf. And it's been... it. When we get to this time of year you always think ah oh, that's the end of the golf season. Um some of the best golf is to be played in the winter in my in, in my opinion. And there's also just ridiculous amounts of news that keeps coming isn't there? Like one thing after the other. We can't ever get to put our feet, feet up.
1: It's supposed to be silly season isn't it? Things are supposed to quiet down.
0: Tiger's back
1: for the 8364th time. <laughs>
0: I know, and it's it's just very strange because that's not even been the biggest news story of the week. And I can I can very clearly remember him um, making his comeback after his back surgery in 2017. I can remember where I was trying to watch it on my phone in the bar at North Shore Golf Club in Skegness, having played uh, there in Seacroft that day. Um, and it was like it was in the same event, and it was just so exciting that he was going to be back and potentially going to be able to do it again. Um, Nowadays, it almost feels sort of stage managed, doesn't it? That he's kind of like, has to disappear off and get injured so he can have another comeback and we can all go off in our pockets again.
1: Yeah, but then it's gonna. I mean, th- these comebacks are very different, I think. In, in 17, there was like a genuine expectation of he is back and how will he get on this time? I mean, obviously he's going to play the hero, but then we probably won't see him again maybe until the players or maybe no, he's be playing he's playing
0: PNC as well
1: yeah but he can cart round in the PNC can't? because you don't count that um yeah he, he, but he refuses to take a cart in other events so I believe um so he what's he going to do he's going to play the hero drive around the PNC then he might play Riviera or Arnold Palmer or the players he isn't going to play all three is he and then the Masters, and then we won't see him again until the US Open. I mean, I'm being overly optimistic here as well in terms of that schedule. We might only see him once.
0: We all still believe. I, I was reading some Dan Rappaport tweets earlier trying to say that he's swinging it as well as ever and blah, 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 blah. We all still believe.
1: Well, like, uh, be, There's never been anything wrong with his swing speed, and there's never been anything wrong with the way that he hits the ball. The problem he's got at the moment is he can't walk around a golf course. And if it gets below 80 degrees, he's in all sorts of trouble, isn't he?
0: Woods and Aberg coming down the stretch at the Masters. That If, if social media is anything to go by, that's nailed on, basically.
1: How disappointing is it, though, Tom, that I'm the cynic? I mean, I'd really hmm. like it. I, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope he comes back and golf needs a bit of... Like, like, golf's been so fractured, Tom. It's been so disappointing. It's been so sad over the last couple of years. It needs <laughs> Tiger. It needs Tiger to come back and... Winner six Masters. Come on, son.
0: It has been sad. It sounds like uh, Liv have been involved in quite an interesting player trade as well with the DP World Tour. Again, if you believe what you read on social media. I don't want to say too much on this because it might change by the time we press stop on record. But it is true that Bernd Wiesberger is coming back to the DP World Tour, having been relegated from the live invitational or the live whatever he, it's called. No,
1: well well he wasn't re- he wasn't relegated, I don't think. I think he finished in that kind of oh, like um, the bemuda yeah, <laughs> triangle of lives free agency. And he's just decided that um going back to the DP World Tour is a better bet. And I probably, given his situation, um wouldn't blame him. I mean like, do you not think that Live Free Agency has just been, I mean, A, it's like no who understands it? Like, what, what on earth is going on? The only thing I seem to have seen at the moment is Pat Perez left the free, the four aces to then rejoin the four aces about two days later.
0: Well, it's true that Wiesberg has certainly had his fingers burnt by it, isn't it?
1: Like, I, I, do you know what? Ever since this news has come out, I've just been thinking of sort of flame-related puns. It's terrible.
0: Yeah. but I mean, it, it does ask a lot of questions, and we maybe we will ask these questions, I think, because... I don't understand why he hasn't had to qualify back for the DP World Tour. On what basis is he back on?
1: Because he's won on it so many times, I believe that he is top earnings, so right, he can okay. get. So that's his category. Like, so I think for a season, I'm not. I'm not sure on the absolutes here. So people can tell me otherwise. But I think he qualifies on top 40 career earnings. That gives him one year exemption to basically, right? Try and. Make sure he finishes in the top one, two, five.
0: Yeah. And then without making this sound like um, Sky Sports news on transfer deadline day, then potentially going the other way is um, a player who's, who's said these things over the years. I have never had negative feelings, brackets towards Liv. If money is your goal, that's the path to go down. I hope the Ryder Cup doesn't suffer. I do see the appeal. I laugh when people rumour me with we'll live golf. All those things at various stages came from the mouths of John R. Rahm. Do you know what his middle name is?
1: John R. Rahm? Yeah. Um, it's got to be Rodriguez or something. It like is
0: that. Rodriguez.
1: Oh, what? A, what oh, three points. Come on, son. Uh, from the from the top of the court. Which I,
0: I just find, I mean, I am very much head-exploding emoji about this. I don't, I can't quite get my head around this at all. Um, not, I, I can get my head around someone accepting millions and millions of pounds to go and play golf 15 times a year. I just don't understand what is going on with the whole merger and whether this is a sort of massive bargaining move by the PIF or what, I don't get it. Do you get it?
1: I mean, it's in the, in the, the, the rumoured the rumoured sort of advances in terms of the contract are huge, aren't they? What what, what the numbers people talking about? 600 million. Um, I have to tell you, if someone... It, it wouldn't take 600 million to get me over there. Let me put it that way. Um, that's not... I mean, that's not just wealth. That's wealth. That's like buy stately home, private jets for the rest of your life, billionaire. I mean, it's like... It's like unbelievable amounts of money, isn't it? The expression
0: I mean, he, you're looking for is, is generational wealth. That's what people yes,
1: say. Thank you. But he'd become like, I mean, he's in, he'd be straight into the same sphere in sports terms as people like Michael Jordan, wouldn't they? And Tiger obviously is a billion yeah, yeah. pound athlete. I mean, it's just, it's just enormous sums. I don't know how anyone could, I can't even imagine that amount of money.
0: Yeah. And it's rumored that he's trying to get them to change the format in order to make his move possible, which is some bullish stance to take, isn't it? Yeah, I'll come and play for you if you kind of do the golf I want you to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah, well, especially as they've got Cam as well and DJ. I mean, there's two pretty big stars there. I know the rest are somewhat. There are some busted flushes in there, and there's some people on the downgrade. There's some people who might be pretty good who haven't shown anything yet. But um, I mean, like, how are they going to change? What, what format changes does he want? He's not he going to get it. seventy. He's not going to get that, seventy-two holes, is he?
0: No, but that is what he's asking for. So that is that is a thing, isn't it? But we're not going to talk about it too much because he might have gone by the time we finish recording. Um, and then back over on the dear old PGA Tour, they've announced their the paltry sums available to people uh, in the PIP. I get very confused between PIFs and PIPs and goodness knows what else. Um, but they've announced their player impact program winners for the year. And I have to say, there's not loads of surprises, is there?
1: Well, who would we think is number one? And who do we think are number two? let us Let's put our fingers in the air and think of two big golfers.
0: It's pretty odd. I mean, it's it's almost almost an identical list to last year. I guess it, what is surprising about it is that Tiger has topped the list. Oh, sorry, Tiger is second on the list. Without, I mean, has he played
1: a PJ Tour event this year? He played the Masters, didn't he?
0: Yeah, so not a PJ Tour event. So I don't think he has. Um, and then when you sort of get into looking at the criteria of what what kind of informs this award, um, there's four or five different things they use nielsen data which is to do with brand exposure they use google search data media mentions something called a q score which is the general awareness amongst the u.s population and mvp index which is a social media score which is to do with your reach and whatever on on social so it's pretty amazing because from a tiger perspective and i understand that he is the needle and all the rest of it He's done no golf this year and any news about him has been sort of relatively negative, hasn't it? He's been about court cases or tampons, basically. So, I don't know whether they discount sort of negative news, but it sort of feels like the whole thing is kind of just feed, fed by controversy, basically. And the, the amounts of money, whilst they're sort of dwarfed by kind of um, live transfer fees, is, is ridiculous. So, McElroy's picked up an extra 15 million quid um, for coming top of the what is it? Piff or piff? Pim, pip, pip, pip. Becoming top of the pip, um, which is added to his FedEx bonus, which is added to his on-course earnings. It's just a staggering amount of money, basically yeah. shared out amongst basically the same people who um, cleaned up last year. So your top three is McCroy Woods, Ram, Spieth, Sheffler, Fowler, Hovland. Like Fowler's probably a new entry on there, but the rest were all people who were in the in the frame for last year. Um, there's a, interestingly, um, Brian Harmon sneaks in at 20th for his two million quid. So it's actually won more money for um, coming 20th on the PIP than he did for winning the Open, which is pretty staggering. Um, but it's a, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? The PIP.
1: I mean, it just shows you, doesn't it, that you don't have to have interesting social media to get paid for social media engagement since some of those accounts that you've mentioned are among the most boring corporate things that you could ever see in golf media so there we are um in my view pip piff pip pip um orange pip jesus oh, spit it out just like a pip um it go. sort of feels to me that it's just another way of giving already rich people more money
0: yeah that's exactly that is
1: exactly how it feels
0: i wonder if they even notice i suspect that we've talked about it more than they have that's what it kind of is the most disconcerting thing about it.
1: I mean, John Ram doesn't get out of bed for 15 million, does he? Clearly
0: not. Um, <laughs> right, so you ready for the main event, Steve?
1: Oh, yes, I'm very much looking forward to this.
0: As promised earlier, here's our interview with golf's Billy Foster.
1: Okay, yeah, once again, I'm joined by uh,
2: Billy Foster. Billy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I thought I'd sort of begin by, by talking to you about your bar at Bingley St. Ives. How is it? How's it coming along?
3: <laughs> yeah, it would, I did a golf day last July. I, listen, I've been giving stuff for charities for years and years, and I've given golf club loads of stuff for their charity days. And I had an idea about two years ago, you know, saying, So we do all this stuff for charity, let's just, charity starts at home sometimes, let's do something for the golf club, you know. Anyway, they decided they couldn't do it because people had complained, it was something to do with charities. So I set me my own golfed the golf at Bingley to raise some money that was solely for a fundraiser for the golf club instead so hmm. yeah, it raised 50 odd thousand quid I auctioned a load of my personal gear and um, yeah so we uh, redid the 19th hole the snooker room and and, and knocked some walls out made it twice as big and did a load of booth seating new bar and some really nice bits of memorabilia so yeah it's, it's worked out really nice
2: yeah um, and just for people who like might not be aware it's Billy's bar at Bingley just full of Golf bags, signed golf balls, open champion, open championship flags, amazing pictures um, of all of your of all of your basically memories, isn't it?
3: Yeah, basically there's a Ryder Cup wall, there's a there's a Tiger Woods wall, there's a semi-ballisteris section, there's a Fitz U.S. Open section, there's a David Clark, Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, and lots of different memorabilia. Uh, the U- replica of the U.S. Open trophies in there. Um, yeah, it's really nice. It's, uh, it's well worth a visit to Blair Bingley just to. Have a few pints in 19th. Really, it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's worked out a lot better than uh, we ever thought it would. Uh,
2: have you added any 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 sort of memorabilia from Rome yet to 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 Billy's bar? Uh,
3: not yet. I, in fact, I've just had me uh, delivery from because obviously we got that much stuff. Um, we left it behind in Rome, and he uh, actually just got delivered this morning, three bags full of stuff. So I don't know. I can't oh, remember what's in there. I haven't opened it yet. So I'm sure there'll be something. Um, the sun. I'm doing going to do another golf day this year. I didn't do one last year. That was two years ago. I did the the other one, but I didn't do it last year because it's impossible to follow it. It went so well, so but I'm going to do one again this year. So yeah, and there'll be loads of stuff in there that I'll I'll put in the raffle and, and auction and stuff. So yeah,
2: oh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, well, I would definitely like to talk to you about the, the the Ryder Cup just gone. I mean, um, I I managed to be there. It was my first ever Ryder Cup I was ever at. Uh, I've ever been at, and I thought it was just an incredible event, just as an event in itself. I know, obviously, it was a favourable result for Europe. Mm-hmm. It must have been a very different event for Caddies in particular because it was sort of a time when you were allowed to use lighter bags as well wasn't it because it was very hot and it's a very hilly course how, how was how was the Roderick Cup for you um, looking back on it
3: yeah I mean it was incredible you know I've been fortunate enough to do be involved in 16 of them and um, yeah I'd certainly have it down in the top 3 or 4 uh, you know atmosphere wise the crowd was magnificent um, the weather was great the course played really well and obviously the result was was great you know and it was um a time where the European teams in been in a massive transition period, of which was obviously highlighted at Whistling Straits, where we got a bit of an ass kicking. But uh, I think everybody thought, including myself, that you know there might be two or three Ryder cups with USA dominance. You know, but uh, hmm. it's amazing how quickly can, things can change in the space of a few months. You know, the likes of Nikolai Ogard and Bob McIntyre and. Um, Ludwig Heerberg is an absolute stud. You know, we played with him in his first professional event in, in June in, at the Canadian Open and I sent Luke Donald a message the Friday night after we played with him the first two rounds saying, this lad's Henrik Stenson's love child. You know, he's the next big <laughs> stud of Europe. So keep your eyes on him and um, mm. and sure enough he delivered. But, you know, you, you lose the likes of Westwood Garcia, Poulter, Stenson, you know, and, and McDowell, people like that, you know, some great players. But And you thought, well, where's the next breed coming from? You know, but... Yeah, you they know, get the likes of John Rahm and Victor Hovland and and, and Fitz to a certain extent. You know, stepping up to fill those shoes that have been vacated over the last you know few years. And um, yeah, it was a, it was an incredible incredible event as always, and thoroughly enjoyed
2: it. Mm. Mm, no, certainly because well, players like Fitz and uh, Rahm, Hovland, Macroy, they they can mix it with any Americans, can't they? Really, um, in terms of sort of Matt at the, the Ryder Cup, he's. He won his first point um, in Rome um, at, on his third appearance. Obviously, caring for him, knowing him for so long, was that like a, a relief for him to get his first point?
3: Yeah, I'm sure it was. You know, uh, you know. I think if you ask Fitz himself, I don't think he was quite ready in 2016, and you know, he got limited opportunity there. Uh, Whistling Straits was, um, you know, he played foursomes. Uh, I think if he'd have played four balls, he'd have had a more positive. How lucky! I, I don't think he felt as though he got the playing time that he deserved. And in the singles, he was seven under par through 17 holes and and, and played the only guy that probably would have beat him that day and, and he lost from yeah. the last to Daniel Berger. Uh, so I guess he was a bit unlucky there. And, and this time he was six under after six on the Friday afternoon playing with Rory and you know, the game was over after six. Holes. So there were five up after six. And, and of course, the second day with um, Camplegate Gate with the hats off to, for the lads, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> what well, he was... did the last three holes, you just get um, literally. Pardon the pun, but you got to take your hat off to him. You know he was. Yeah, um, you do. What he did the last three holes, you know, he held it from twelve foot, fifteen foot, and forty five foot. The last three holes to uh, snatch the match. You know it was uh, tough one to take. And then of course, Fitz had his opportunity to 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 hold the winning putt to win the Ryder Cup, and obviously missed it. And Max held a good putt to to also stop him from winning it. Um, but Max played really well. It was arguably their best player, so Certainly, yeah. mixed mixed uh, reviews from Fitz's Ryder Cup, but you know I'm sure he was more than happy getting his point. And I think everybody did their own little bit somewhere. I don't think anybody didn't get a point. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, everybody yeah, did it a bit anyway. So it was good.
2: Yeah. What I noticed sort of afterwards, I was sort of hanging around the car park area um, at Marco Simone once Europe had won. Um, and like, what I really noticed is that. Um, you know the players sort of firing champagne, but so with I think so with you, and so with the rest of the caddies. And it, what what sort of came across to me is that the, the caddies really, really uh, are equally as invested as, as the players. And I think that just adds to the collective spirit in the European team that's always been. If you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, I mean, I've I've been inside that American locker room on a couple of occasions, you know, and it's it's the camaraderie and the uh, the team bonding is not in the same stratosphere. And you know, it's like Halifax Town playing Man City, like you know, it's right. they'll never have it, they'll never have that. Or you could argue that they've got on paper they've got better players, but I'd have to say this time the team bonding inside that locker room was as good as it's ever been. You know, and you've lost some great characters. You know, Palters and Garcia have been mm. massively inspirational in that locker room, but certain players stood up. You know, Rory stood up massively. Shane Lowry stood up massively. John Ram, you know, it's they're sort of like. Filling the shoes that have, have left the locker room, you know, and it was, but you know, you go in the caddies' team room at night time, you know, we stood on the table singing through eat Cadillac and carrying on American pie and all that, carrying on getting clattered and proper team bonding, like, you know, they're all tucked up in bed. Uh, but that's the way it's always been, you know. Yeah. And, and you know what said it all to me was in practice a couple of weeks before the Ryder Cup, you know, in Europe there were 12 players and 12 caddies. America sent nine players and one caddy. That said it all about team bonding for me. They were in trouble straight away as soon as I heard that, I thought. So, yeah, it was um, chalk and cheese when it comes to team bonding.
2: I feel, yeah, I think to, to me, I think to me and other fans, that just comes across as a key factor as to why Europe have, you know, they've lost four, of the last 14 Ryder Cups. You know, that's an incredible record. Um, and to me, I suppose, the, the Cantlay hat thing and the rumours of wanting to be paid, in, in my opinion, I wouldn't ever think a European player would even think of wanting to be paid for the Ryder Cup. I don't know if I'm wrong. No, I tend
3: to agree with you. I actually wore a shirt. I'm trying to think what it was. I think it could have even been 99 at Brookline. And I I wore a shirt the European logo on saying we play for pride, not money. So they've been obviously banging on about that for 20 odd years that they wanted paying for it, the Americans. But yeah, I, I think if any European came out saying they wanted paying, they'd get battered in the locker room by his fellow caddies and players, I think, you know, they just that's not the way Europe works.
2: No. It certainly doesn't come across as that. Um I think Luke Donald had sort of alluded to that as well. I think he was he's been, being sort of completely dismissive of the concept of pay. And Would you like to see Luke have another crack in uh, Beth Page?
3: Well, you know, unfortunately, with the live situation, you've lost your three next captains, the Westwood, Poulton and Garcia, and arguably GMAC would have been your next three or four captains. So there's, mm. a, there's a bit of a void there at the minute uh, regarding real quality players that have been there and done it. And doing what Luke achieved and, you know, always said Paul McGinley were the best captain we've ever had. And I'd, I'd actually put Luke right there with him, hand in hand, as equally the best Ryder Cup captain we've ever had. And, you know, if he wanted to do it, I think everybody would love to have him there. But I, I totally understand that it takes up two years of your life. It's not just one week, you know, and, and Luke's been involved in five Ryder Cups now and won all five. So would he really want into the go into the cauldron of hate that's going to be New York City? You know, it's going to be very boisterous. It's going to be a tough Evil Ryder Cup, I believe, so I could totally understand why I wouldn't want to do it, but somebody's going to have to do it. Uh, but if it's Luke, I'm sure that everybody to a man would be over the moon if he, if he did it again. But I totally understand if he wanted to ride off into the sunset,
2: yeah, I t- sort of tend to agree with that. Um, although sort of the idea of sort of winning a home and away Rider Cup as a captain does sort of sound like a good idea as well, and that nice concept as yeah. well, yeah. Uh,
3: obviously, it's uh, yeah, we speak massive volumes if if the man to go over there and, and win. in in the cauldron of New York would be uh, an mm. incredible victory, but it's obviously going to be very, very difficult.
2: Yeah, I think sort of at past Ryder Cups players and sort of vice-captains have spoken about sort of the, the raucousness of the Ryder Cup and fans. I think some people would say the fans take it over the top a bit. W- w- would you agree with that? Or as a caddy, do you try and embrace it?
3: That's- I love it I love it I embrace it and the more hatred and more you're getting shouted against I actually embrace it and actually enjoy it to be quite honest a bit of a walk <laughs> sense of humour I think but there's one thing in just the Ryder Cup I noticed that it went with this year how how the crowd is I should mention it to a few players you know and and even officials you know that you know it's close to the edge it needs to you need to be careful with it because since Covid I don't know what it is whether it's social media muppets or whatever it is you know but it's you know wentworth has gone from like 40 50 year old 60 year olds sort of like really polite you, you know clapping and very respectful to a set of screaming yobs yeah. that are half pissed up you know it's shouting stupid things going like america's gone and you know, it's like i noticed it last year and i noticed it miles more this year that it's getting a bit out of hand so whether the rain in the beer tents i don't know but something will have to be done because it's i will not say it's not enjoyable but you know, it's close mm. to the edge it's getting a bit bit stupid you know too many clowns out there for me too many gobshites. needs to needs to be reined in. And... yeah
2: I, I was on the first first tee for the first tee shot and Scotty Sheffler here and just before he he was like limbering up and I think someone did like a a loud ironic sneeze and then someone shouted you stinks yeah, yeah I'll tell
3: you what I, I, I was stood on the first tee and I heard a couple of you stinks Gary or Yeah. Like, and just as he's getting over it I'm like and nobody said up and I can't believe the start I didn't say anything because I actually wanted to walk up to the microphone and grab it and just say listen if there's any of that please just leave because you're not wanted here you know and yeah. that's what it needed somebody to say something like that but i thought well it's not my position to do that but i was so close to grabbing Mike not impressed <laughs> but um i don't think it really happened much after that on the first tee not that i witnessed but yeah that one that one nice but you know you're going to get it 10 times more when you go back over there
2: yeah i see i see um in terms of Matt, you know you've been with him since 2018, I believe, and um, you know you've caddied for like the greats, like Westwood and Ballesteros and Woods and Clark. But arguably, Matt's delivered you the best days of your career, arguably, because he's got you that major championship, hasn't
3: he? You can't argue with that, can you? I mean, Clark, he won some big titles. <laughs> you know, he beat, he beat Tiger Woods in the World Match Play final over 36 holes. I mean, Westwood got to number one in the world. You mm. know, so he won the PGA Championship. Some great, some great days, some great memories. But yeah, I mean, Fitz is the one that's delivered the, you know, the. Um, he got the gorilla off my back, as such, you know, by winning the major championship. That, um, yeah, it's amazing, really. Mm-hmm. I never thought, when I took the job, I never th- saw that, really. I knew he was a talented player that was going to keep improving, but he's, the way he has improved so dramatically over the last. Three or four years, he's, uh, yeah, he's number seven in the world, I think, as I sit here now and I'm like, if you'd have told me that when I started five years ago when he was 48th or whatever he was, I said, no chance he's not in the top ten in the world. But, you know, he's, the way he is, And you look at the people in front of him, you think, you know, you could certainly get in the top three or four in the world the way he's going, so we'll see.
2: His ascension has been pretty incredible. I and mean, all those names we've mentioned, like, there's a lot of different personalities there. I mean, um, is it difficult to gel when you first get going or does it sort of come naturally
3: to you now? They're all different levels of psychopaths, mate, let's face it. <laughs> um, and they're all different. They're all weird and wonderful characters. You know, they're, um, mm. you know what I'd say to Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood had it. What i say to Lee Westwood, Seve Ballesteros had hated. What i say Seve Ballesteros, mm. Darren Clark had hated. So, yeah, Link you learn to adapt very quickly. You, mm. you know, you you, the, you you throw the fly in the water and, you know, you're waiting for the fish to bite. and. As soon as you actually, you know not to do it again, you know, and you learn very quickly. Like you learn, you know, the different distances every player It's You know, you you fathom that up very quickly within two or three holes, you know, and, and it's the mm-hmm. same as uh, the attitudes and, and the way the mindsets are that, you know, you have to do things differently with different players. But you learn pretty quickly, so.
2: It's one of my favourite moments of the last few years, to be honest, when um, on the last at Brookline, Zelatoris sort of, his putt just sort of missed, didn't it, just by the lip. Um you sort of put your hat over your face and I, mm. I, I really I re-watched it earlier and I really really enjoy that moment because it's it's just as much as it's a massive moment for Matt Fitzpatrick it's also just a sort of a huge moment for you isn't it because you must have thought I back towards the think, ground.
3: I actually think Matt and his dad were happier for me than he were for himself you know. <laughs> um, yeah with a massive monkey off my back like, you know you just you get to in there you know I'm 58 next month and it's like You've carried for 40 years and you've been close on so many occasions and second so many countless times, third countless times. It's like, you know, I might retire at 60 or, you know, your body's breaking down. You, you can only do it so long. You're thinking, you know, I might only in another 10 or 12 majors. Are you ever going to win one? No, you're probably not. You know, and that that's what I felt. And as Zalatori hit that put, I think I've watched that put about 10 times since. And I think the next time I watch it, I think it'll actually go in because it couldn't yes. miss it, like a foot short. And all you can hear is the crowd's voices getting louder and louder. You just think, yeah, it's in. And I looked up and the ball was still above ground. And I was like, that's when it hit home. That just put my head in my hands and pulled me out of my face because of like all those demons of Darren Clark leading the Open and shanking it and Lee Westwood 3-putting the last at Turnberry to lose and mm-hmm. Lee Westwood at the masses, you know, just losing out and Thomas Bjorn carrying for him when he left in that bunker three times. You know, all those memories Gosh. were fluttering out of my mind and, and finally <laughs> realising that you've got your dream of, you've counted for a guy that's won a major championship, you know, so what a big, big moment, you know? Yeah, I mean,
2: I'll never forget, I actually backed Fitz that week, that that week at a a decent price, I really thought, I really thought he was going to be his his week, and um, I mean, when he hit it in the fairway bunker on, on the 18th, I did just sort of think, well, you can hit it out into the fairway, make a par, and then, or, or make a bogey, and there'll be a playoff, so I can still win me money, that's what I was sort of thinking at the time, but when you're at the, fairway bunker, what was your sort of first point of advice or what were your first thoughts well, walking walking up to the bunker?
3: It, it started on the Monday at the start of the week because we got on that last hole and I was measuring the golf course on the Monday morning. and I stopped at 270 to 280 yards, which is a three-wood for fits, and it's the widest bit of the fairway. It's probably 28 yards wide uh, before you get to a little elbow in the, in the fairway and then it gets a bit tight and the rough comes in, the bunkers come in. And Justin Rose was there playing as I was measuring the course. And he, he said, Billy, what do you like here? I said, well, i got it. 275 yards, something like that, Rosie, three wood. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I see. I thought, well, he's won a US Open. That'll do for me, you know. <laughs> so Fitz came to play his practice round later that day. And we get to the last door. And uh, he pulls a driver out. And I said, well, I like it. 275 up here, Fitz. You know, widest bit of the fairway, three wood. Yeah, we'll just hit a driver. And it's hits a driver. And it goes... Sh- Through the fairway and the right and rough. So he gouges it out in the front bunker, whatever he did, you know. And when we got to the green, I said, Fitz, I really like a three-wood here, and I know you like a driver. I said, let's go back to the tee, and hit another six tee shots. Uh, hit three three three-woods and three drivers, and then see how you feel, you know. So he went back, hit three three three-woods, three drivers. And he scattered him around a bit, so there wasn't any real definite answer in his Mm -hmm. head. So i said what do you think now i said no no i like driver you know it's best best club in my bag and if i'm gonna hit in the rough i'd rather be further up that i can get up by the green i went mm-hmm. okay i said i like three you like driver?" i said yeah i like driver i said so when we get here on thursday and you hit driver and it don't work out i don't want you saying Ah, oh, we should have hit three we should have hit driver we should have done this we should have done that yeah. i don't want any of this hindsight bullshit i said you want to hit driver that's it yeah i'm happy with driver I went, okay driver it is i won't say another word so we hit driver thursday friday saturday and went, bogey, par bogey. So he stood on the 18th tee on Sunday I said, fits. it's a three-wood. Widest bit of the fairway, nowhere else. It'll only be a nine-nine second shot. Okay, so it's a three-wood and ups it in the bunker. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, why didn't you keep your frigging gob shut, you know? Anyway, 30 yards off the tee, he stopped, and he turned to me and went, Billy, that was the right club. I went, well, if that had been Thomas Bjorn or Sergio Garcia or Darren Clark, you know, I'd I, there'd have been a crucifix about thirty yards off the tee with me, <laughs> butted underneath it the year after, you know. But he said, "No, Billy, that was the right club." And then, as we got up to the bunker, and I saw where it was behind the island in the middle of the bunker, my heart sank. I thought, yeah. "That's it. We can't get home," you know. But as I got to the bunker, I, I've known something I've never done before in a golf course. I actually got five iron out, out of the bag and I plum bobbed the golf ball left of the left of the middle. Okay. Uh, yeah. Little, little cliff top in the bunker, and I like. Picked out a target at the back of the green. I said, Look, Fitz, if you hit on that left edge of the green, there's a floodlight there on the tree. And I said, If you hit on that, you're not going to hit the bank in front of you, and you can just try and hit an hard cut or whatever, you know. All right, what do you think? Just smash an iron and that'll you know. And as I walked away, I turned around, it pretty much hit already, you know. And you could tell with the contact, clean, pure strike, and you could see it cutting in there. I'm like, Oh, you beautiful thing, like that. You know, you know and the rest is history to like 18 feet. It uh, hey, was well, the shot of the season, there's no doubt about it.
2: Certainly. That's, well, that's what sort of came to my mind. I mean, the speed that he'd gained in his swing that year as well. I mean, to me, to me it appeared that he had the ideal technique to pull that shot off because he's, he generates such speed now, doesn't he? So therefore, you know, yeah. getting the ball up above that lip might not have been a problem.
3: You know, he couldn't get it over there. He, he, he definitely had to go left a yeah, bit. He right, couldn't, yeah. He'd have had a long wedge and just pop it out if he had to go over the lip, but. We Play with Justin Johnson the first two rounds, and he would he were bombing it 20, 30, 40 yards past him sometimes, which was incredible. Justin Johnson must have been ambling his way down the fair, and thinking, What's happened to this little git? You know, <laughs> it 25 yards further than he ever did before. You know, it was uh, yeah, it was a special week,
2: fantastic, yeah. Um, and I remember, I think afterwards, there was sort of some footage of you and Matt and his family, and you said to him, You're gonna get sick of winning these things. So do, you, do you think he has got um, another, another major in him?
3: I do, yeah, yeah. Whether I'll be still there, you know, it might take him another two or three years, in which case, there's every chance I might not be there, but um, I could see him winning two or three more merges in the next 10 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, That's he's so it, consistent and, um, you know, his, his work ethic's incredible and he'll only strive to get that just that little bit better every year, every year, you know. I mean, this year, if you ask him, he'll say, I didn't have a great year, but, you know, he won two big tournaments, you know, and, and it's not finished, you know, he could, he, track record in Dubai is second to none, so... Who should say he can't go there next week and win? You know. Yeah, but he would say he's had a poor, poor year. You know, because he did from the Masters, and he won in Hilton Head, and through the summer he, he played pretty poorly for Fitz. I'd have to say, but then the last few weeks he played really well again. So I think he'll want to be a bit more consistent this year, next year, and it'll be you have longer periods of playing well. You know.
2: Yeah, he comes across to me as like a, a player that's quite um quite hard on himself. You know,
3: he he yeah, remember and I'm always very honest with him, you know, and I know I, I can stick my toe in boiling water at times, you know, but I say it for his own benefit, you know. Mm. I'm very honest and open with him, and, and if someone's bugging me, I, I generally tell him, you know. I'm like a kettle boiling. I don't start whistling it has to, mm. I've got to get it off my chest if someone's bugging me. And You know, and I, I do, I sit down again and again and say, that's not good enough, this ain't good enough, your attitude's not good enough. Whatever it is, you know, I'll always sit down and offer constructive criticism which mm. normally he takes on board pretty well you know i mean i'm sure i'll snap the camel's back somewhere down the line he'll get rid of me but... <laughs> but yeah i'm always honest with him and you know i think he appreciates me just saying it as it is to make him to make him better really
2: yeah i mean i'm, I'm sure there's a reason why you wanted to sort of team up with you because those are your sort of characteristics aren't they that's your that's your quality yeah, that,
3: that yeah. it's got me sacked a couple of times in the past you know i've I won't say I've set them mark, but sometimes I just say what I think, and I, I believe I'm right. And sometimes I don't like it, and say, "No, it's time for the change." You know, but that's that's maybe me. me though. I ain't going to change now, am I? <laughs> no, no,
2: I imagine not. Um, I thought I thought want, wanted to ask you about you know a course that you've walked must have walked hundreds of times is 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 Augusta. Um, is that a place you just you just love going back to each year, and it doesn't get it's
3: old? A, it's a place I love leaving, to be quite honest. Oh, I see. Okay, uh, yeah, why um, is that? <laughs> I'm just—I never been a massive fan of it. Um, okay, it's just such a tough week. And listen, it's a great tournament. Atmosphere is great. It's you know you'd love to win there, but as a caddy, it's it's uh, you just love to get that pin back in the 18th hole on the 72nd hole of the tournament and still have a job because it is the ultimate grueling test of. It's very undulating and really difficult week physically walking but mentally it's it's the most demanding week of the year you know it's you know the elevation changing the swirling winds the firm greens uh, the undulations in in the greens itself. you know every green's got like different big severe tears and you know if you miss that little section you, know, you can be you can actually the same two shots one will finish two foot from the hole and the other one will finish 80 foot from the hole because you know the the tears are so severe. You might miss your target by a couple of feet, and it just rolls off to the left edge of the green. Eighty foot away It's so, so, so demanding that, and you're there. You're the number one brunt of things don't quite go right. You know the players first port of call is his it again, and You know, and it's, you know, you might be right. You know, it might be a good shot, and you still get punished for it, which is tough to take at times. John Augusta. So That's to me, it yeah. wouldn't be my favorite week. I understand it. it's a great tournament, and yes, you're being your top two or three to win, you know, besides uh, the Open Championship, the next one, you know, probably up with the Masters, you know, but it's, uh, it's far from being an enjoyable week.
2: Is that, a okay, I mean, it's so interesting to hear this. I mean, is that like a is it like an idea that's shared amongst caddies, or would you say yeah, you're... I'd you're... Say so, yeah, yeah. Oh,
3: okay. I'd say a lot of caddies. Yeah, you know, I'm not knocking the tournament as, it's a unbelievable no. tournament, but as a caddy, it's a, it's an arse-whipping week, you know, it's... Uh, it's very very difficult, and there's sure enough there's always three or four casualties every year at the end of that week. You know,
2: it's, it's obviously got it's some of the points on the course are the most famous landmarks in golf. You've got the got Amen Corner, um, 11, 12, 13. Um, would, would that be one of the more difficult parts of the course for for walking or playing? Uh, what, what advice would you give to say if you were to join someone else's bag and you had to give them some pointers on how to play Amen Corner? What yeah. what, what 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 would you say? Go to
3: church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, 11 and 12 are, are, are so difficult. I mean, 11's, I don't know, 11's got to be 100 yards longer than what it was when I first went I was going say, you know? they've extended it, haven't they, yeah? Yeah, it was massively, you know, you, you're you hitting, a, on average, you're probably hitting a four-iron in the second shot to, to a green that's 10 yards downhill. You miss a green right, it's so fiddly, you know, the grass is always cut into you, so you can't bump and run something. The green slopes from right to left towards the water, so you're yeah, a bit too hard. It's the, the ball's running at pace towards the water. Obviously, it goes without saying if your second shot left half of the green, it's going to go in the water, so it's it's a really demanding shot, and the wind tends to swirl all over the place on 11 and 12, especially. 12's only 150 to 160 yards, you know, it's. Yeah. it's probably an 8 iron, you know. It's, uh, but, you know, you'll know where the wind is coming down 10. You always try and gauge where the wind is as you're coming down 10, 11, because you go massively downhill into the bottom of the ball, you know. You'll have your wind map out, you'll have your compass points out, knowing where the wind should be. But you stand on that 12-3, I don't care who you are. And if they're a liar, if they say they know where the wind is, it's, it's your best educated guess every time you play it. So what I always say is, I'd always say, try and bring your ball flight down and just never hit it right in the front bunker. always try and get over the middle of the front bunker and try and bring your ball flight down, chip something in there so it doesn't start stalling in the wind if you get a gust against it. Okay. That's the only thing I'd say. But, yeah, it's always your best educated guess. It's uh, one of the toughest holes in golf. You know, it's a, the green runs diagonally across it. And, you know, it's not more than 12 yards deep at any any stage. You know, it's... You know, if you get a little gust and you're half the club out, you're in serious trouble. You know, Tiger was made a ten there. That says it all, doesn't it? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, certainly. It's easy in golf for you play it. It's it easy in golf until you play it. Everybody watching on TV said, "Oh, look at that! How easy is that? It's 150 <laughs> yards, it's a nine it's an eight turn. I'd make a three there. You'd make a 33 there if you went and played it.
2: <laughs> um. Yeah, I've imagined that's true for most people. I mean, but when but when I watch the Masters, I do sort of think some approach shots, some putts that on the green. You do sort of think, um, and again, like you, I still think it's an amazing tournament, and I, and the course looks absolutely amazing. But some putts and chips and approaches that are out by a yard or two that that roll and roll and roll away. You do sort of think it is what sort of golf course is this? If you know what I mean? Yeah,
3: it's borderline at times. Yeah, but listen, what makes a great champion. And what, what makes players play well there is knowing where not to hit it, you know. Right. Because you hit it in the wrong spots, you literally have no chance. So mm. the art of playing Augusta is actually not necessarily about hitting brilliant shots. It's about hitting, <coughs> it in, hitting it in a position where you can be still fairly aggressive with your put, you know, mm. keeping it under the hole or, you know, getting it past the hole on some holes and leaving you send the easiest putt Sometimes you're better off being 25 foot away than being 12 foot away, if you know what I mean. Because you I get see. on the wrong side of it and you're putting down a cliff face, if you, you miss don't. it, you're going 10 foot pass. Well, you're better off being 25 foot under the hole than having a, a put where you can be a bit more aggressive and have more chance of holding it, to be quite quite honest. You could have it from I 12 see. foot with 10 foot break on it, you know, it's where it is.
2: In the last few years when you've carried for fits, so he's had a few backdoor top 10s in Augusta, I think, has he? Yeah,
3: he's, he's, I don't know, I think he finished 10th this year, I think, yeah. Yeah. He's finished seventh before, I believe. Yeah, his records not horrendous. He's never really featured with a chance to win it, but he's he's played steady away. And could he win there? Yeah, I think he could. Yeah, and since he's put on twenty five yards from what he had three or four years ago, he's, I mean, if it fits his week and he starts rolling his rock, he's he can win anywhere really.
2: Nice. No, well, yeah, yeah. So the, obviously, you, you won at um, harper Town earlier this season as well, didn't they? Uh, well, didn't didn't you? So that was that was yeah. brilliant as well. I mean, you mentioned sort of Matt's increasing speed and stuff, and um, he clearly sees that as an important part of the game. I just sort of wanted to maybe ask you about um, you know the the golf ball and how that could like affect Matt's game. Like, do, do, do you agree that sort of maybe um, modifying the golf ball is 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 the solution sort of protecting golf?
3: Yeah, I mean, to me, the game's... Me, personally, I've been seen the best players in the world for 40 years, I think the game's been destroyed. It's not getting destroyed, it's been destroyed. You know, you don't see shop-making anymore. You don't see guys shaping shops into flags and, and hitting it in the middle of the green and a 10-yard cut into a back-right flag and just seeing who's got the real quality, you know. and You know, some bunkers out there at 300 yards, I mean, you couldn't reach them 20 years ago. Now they're flying them. You know, it's completely changed, and... Like I say, you know, they just stand up and I up and just bomb it 310, 320, 330, 340 yards. Some of these guys, it's, you know, 500-yard holes and it didn't drive a wedge. Like, well, that's, you know, they did not drive a five-iron 20 years ago. It's, yeah. It's ruined it to a certain degree, but a lot of that's down to the the forgiveness of the driver. The driver's too big. You know, you used to here yeah. with a persimmon, it got 230 yards. Now, you do the same one of these big metal things, it still goes over 300 yards. There's no punishment for not striking it purely, and the ball doesn't move half as much as it used to do. So it just all it does is make the good players and the fantastic players so much closer together. You mm-hmm. know, back in the day, you know your best players coming down the stretch always seemed to win. Now, any of these lads can win really, within reason. That's because the the equipment is so forgiving and it goes too far. Yeah. So
2: yeah, they, they all virtually use the same clubs, the same. You know. Yeah all these sort of yeah, clubs yeah, that yeah,
3: cannot reach people, opi- people have these opinions that, no, you don't have to be changing ball, you don't have to be changing drive, but guess what? All, everybody that says that, you know, it might be even Rory or whatever, you know, he, I don't know if Rory's a fan of changing ball too much, but, you know, as much as respect I have for all these lads, you know, they never saw how it used to be, you know, 30, 40 years ago, they never saw he's the ball either, the ball strike, and some of these lads would be arguably even greater They'd set the bar, they'd set a gap between the next best because they are that good that, they would benefit from less forgiving club faces or the ball you you can shape shots more you know because they are the best players so that would even make them move one step further ahead of the rest you know mm. so that's my opinion on it anyway
2: yeah it's it's an interesting time isn't it because i think i think that's what the rna and the usga are trying to do trying, i think they're trying to keep the skill element aren't they in, in well that.
3: you'd like to think so you'd like to. it needs it needs raining back and bringing more the skill levels back into it more, I think, yeah.
2: I see. Yeah, People love yeah. to see
3: great golf shots. Now it's just a case of, well, we can whack it now. Let's see if we can get it to 400 yards the first, you know, let's see if we can drive it over at first green at Augusta and chip back. You know, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's where I feel it's going, you know?
2: Yeah, I see. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's, it's hard It's hard to disagree. Um, I mean, talk about the golf shots, you, you, the golf shots you must have watched years ago compared to now must be completely different. Um, and even sort of when about sort of 20 years ago, around the time, sort of mid 2000s, you caddied for Tiger, didn't you, at the President's Cup? I mean, you mentioned Tiger a minute ago, Augusta. And I, was, I, was, I wanted to ask um, how did it come about caddying for Tiger um, at the President's Cup? Did, did, did he did he contact you, or how did it sort he, of transpire? He walked,
3: up, he walked up, I was caddying for Darren Clark, uh, and we were in Akron, Ohio, for the Bridgestone tournament, and Tiger came up to Darren, spoke to him, and then left. And uh, a couple of minutes later, Darren come to me and said, do you know what that we're all about? I went, what? He said, well, Tiger's just come up to him and said, look, he needs a caddy for the President's Cup because Steve Williams, his wife's having a baby, and he's just asked me if it's all right to ask you. You know, He, he cleared it with Darren first. And uh, he says, he wants you to work for him. He says, what are you going to do? I says, I don't know. And Lee Westwood were hitting balls at the side. He said, Billy, if you don't work for him, I will. I went, <laughs> yeah, good point, went, well, good point, Weston, yeah. So, yeah, that's how it came about. And, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah. Listen, it's one of those things that at the time you know you're looking at going, Well, this guy's gonna win twenty five majors. You know, this is the best player that's ever lived and will never mm-hmm. be matched, you know, but unfortunately with, with horrendous injuries, it's it, it stopped him doing that. But to me he's still the best player that's ever lived, no doubt about it. But to have that honour to, to say you've you worked for arguably the greatest player of all time is you know, something to be proud of really. And why Hopefully. he asked me was very humbling and, you know, again, very honoured to be asked. You know, you could have asked anybody, so that was kind of nice, you know.
2: Yeah, well, you know, no, no one's saying no to Tiger Woods, and for him to you know, ask you that is just the ultimate compliment, isn't it, I suppose? Um, yeah. that, that, that week, was there, was it like a moment or a shot that you just sort of thought Woods is just
3: off the, off the scale? The very first tee shot, the first practice round. But you, got, you got you got to realise this was nearly 20 years ago as well, you know, 2005, when... The ball had gone from going, say, like the big hitters back in the day would, would be in it 280 yards. Then at that stage, it was probably about 300 yards, 310 yards with a big, big drive. Now you're talking like 330, 340, whatever it is. Yeah. But there a bunker off the tee at 290, and it were like 305 to carry it. And we got on the tee, he says, what, What's what's the story? So it's 290 to reach the bunker, and uh, you know, just hit one of your two irons, it'll get down there 20 yards short of that bunker, leave you 170 front or whatever it is oh just let me try a driver and it went like what 305 yards you know into a little bit of a draft you know he's like and sure enough he flew it straight away I was like my god and Clark had to like two bounce it into the bunker and he flew it i'm like this is in a different league this like you know and then we got to a, yeah we got to the 11th hole in the tournament and he told me like he hit pitch and wedge 140 he'd hit a 99 155 whatever and uh i'll never mm. forget it, it had 142 yards and the, it was like five yards uphill that's 147, and then it's into the wind, yeah. so it's playing at least 150 more. And uh he's told me it's a wedge 140. I says, uh, "What do you like?" I said, ah, "I just a nice move." No, no, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give me the wedge. I said, "Tiger," but it's you know, it's 142. Up in limit, the draft light, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying, but no, I like this. I see this. And he jumped all over this wedge. It went as high as it went forward, and he hit to six inches, you know, tapping. So we're yeah. walking up there. I said, "Tiger," I said. Uh, so you just had that, 142, five yards uphill, 147, into the wind, probably playing 152. You tell me at a wedge, 140. I says, how, how does that happen? And then he says, I don't worry about it, Billy. I've got another gear when I need it. I went, yeah, no shit, Sherlock, sure, you know. He'd <laughs> remember things like that. And even on the range, just hitting eight-hands, and he was just like cutting an 8 iron, drawing an 8 iron, chipping an 8 iron, high 8 iron. You could have laid a blanket up, a lot of them. Yeah. You know, it was just a case of hitting 28 hands, I was just like checking me, going, this is just in a different league, like, you know. Yeah, it was uh, very, very special.
2: Incredible. I mean, just from this, this chat, you've just summed up so many incredible moments, amazing memories. I mean, just to round off, I always, when I was 12, 13, growing up watching golf, um, one of my best sort of favourite things would, would be to listen to a video of you telling the story about um, uh, Balesteros, you know, the, the dinner plate, you know, the dinner plate size shot in in the trees over the wall um, and what annoys me so much about that is that there's no footage, is there? There's like the, there's the image, but there's no footage. They,
3: they never got it on camera. Amazing, isn't it? And they got the tee shot, they got the chip, and are ah, they not? Ah, they never got that second shot. It's absolutely it's in a travesty. It's a travesty. were never relayed live that you could actually appreciate what you were trying to do. And and if you hadn't seen it on TV, you'd, you'd have gone, yeah, hey, Billy's right. Just chip it outside with your muppet and get it up and down for par. It was an absolute bonkers shot, what he did, you know, but that was heavy. He was eight foot from the wall, whatever he was, and he went ten yards to the left, got it up over the eight foot wall and through the forest of trees with this tiny chink of daylight. And it, like I said, the sides of a dinner plate, which were ten yards away above the wall in the trees, and going blind, didn't know where they were going like. And it just, just short the green, two yards short the green, then chipped it chipped it in for a birdie. Yeah, it was uh, it the most special sort I've seen in my 40-odd years of caddy, and I can't ever say it being beaten, to be quite honest. But nobody would have the imagination mm. to see see that shot in the first place. I'm telling you now, if there were a thousand pros, 999 would have chipped it out, and he's the only one yeah. that actually had the wildness to have the vision to see what he did. Yeah, it was incredible. No, I, thought, know, I worked for him for five yeah. years, and even now, I don't play any golf myself, really. Okay. But even when I did, I sort of like I can I can see shots because it's ingrained in you what he what he did for that five year period. You learn everything about playing so many different shots that you you just get a vision for seeing things, you know. And I still see it when I am caddying today. I see certain shots that you know other players don't see, but that's just because it were ingrained in me to me from the grandmaster, you know. Weird. Well,
2: well, I suppose I suppose that was him. And then, as just, just go back to Ryder Cup in Rome, was he sort of at the centre of discussions again, or is is it still like that, or
3: not? Massive. Massive part of it. Okay, yeah. You know, as you walked from the locker room to the first tee, through the walls of the clubhouse, there were a big portrait of him with, you know, um, quotes of what he said. You know, if you ever feel yeah, He's actually painted on the wall, if you ever feel sorry for your opponent on the golf course, you'll never win because if you don't kill him, he'll kill you. You know, stuff like that. You know, and then of course they roll down the massive banner on the first tee, didn't they, with Sevy on it? And you know, inside yeah. the, the actual locker room, that Sevi's it was like a football locker room. Every player had his own locker. And right, bang in the middle, of a Balasiris locker with the very last shirt he ever wore in a Ryder Cup, or Killing ninety five. Oh. His shirt was in the locker through a glass case, so you could see it. You know, it was. He's still immensely inspirational. Yeah, oh, incredible, God's well, wow. um,
2: Billy. Thank you so so much for giving me your time. It's an absolute privilege, Billy. Thank you very much. No problem.
0: Well, Steve, there's an awful lot to get stuck into there, isn't there?
1: He's good. He's good form, isn't
0: he? I think he's uh, basically the. Oh pretty much the best after-dinner speaker in golf, like just relentless stories about Seve that we've all heard a thousand times, but I think you're always happy to hear when you've got a beer in your hand. I was so glad he was so candid on um, so many topics, like fair play to him for saying that Augusta week's the worst week of his year. I'm not sure many people would agree with that. Some some people on this podcast are really hoping to get there for the first time. Um, so it's interesting to hear him say he can't wait to leave. Um for me though, it was the stuff on it was the stuff on the distance debate that really resonated. I mean, he's someone you have to listen to on that topic, I think. So he's he's been caddying since 1984, which is I can't do the maths. It's a long time though, that isn't it? Is it nearly 40 years? Um so he's he's kind of lived through like what like three or four massive changes in equipment for a start. So he would have been caddying for people with persimmon woods. He's then lived through metal wood, graphite shaft, titanium driver, um, and now carbon driver. So he's seen a lot of advancements in technology. And he's also stood there like literally next to some of the the world's best ball strikers across three, four generations of golfer. And I think what perhaps more interesting for me is that his current loop in um, Matt Fitzpatrick, he's kind of like made his name as being someone with a phenomenal short game particularly someone who's one of he's one of the best putters of all time but he's really kind of gone to a new level and certainly in winning his major he kind of got there by adding distance now he's not he's not added distance um just by using different technologies like put relentless hours in the gym he's worked on biomechanics he's done everything within his gift to try and to try and add those yards so I don't think Billy's necessarily calling out just equipment. He's saying that distance as a thing has changed the game for the worse since he since he started playing. It's quite a bold, it's a big bold statement to make, isn't it?
1: He's not wrong, though, is he? I don't know. Uh, I know. I know that those in certain golf hierarchies would disagree with me strongly, and a lot of people who just want to see players hit it as far as possible um, would probably disagree as well. But I mean even the distance, the distances that they hit it these days are absolutely enormous but but the point that i thought that he made which was the really big one for me um, was that shot making isn't you don't see shot making anymore is is basically what he said you don't see guys shaping shot into flags hitting it in the middle of the green um, you don't see them hitting a ten yard cut to a back right flag and seeing who's got the real quality, and I do think that that is true from my experience of watching tour golf. You know, you don't, uh, you don't. I, I, there's a there's a very famous um, little video on, uh, a viral video of, and I can't remember the player, but it's at Pebble Beach and it's on an amazing windy day, and he's about two yards out, two hundred yards out, and he hits this like cut three iron that hardly gets off the floor, and it and it basically banks like a bullet tracer runs right in it's an absolutely phenomenal golf shot and you just don't see those anymore swings are modern swings are generic because that's the way that that's the best way to attack the golf ball and it's been honed obviously through trackman and various other um simulations you know th- there is no individuality in these uh, swings anymore and those players that are exceptional or obviously still exceptional but can you imagine how much better Rory McElroy would be with his skill at driving the ball if everyone else wasn't able to max him out there at 300 as well I mean I think he'd be I, I, I certainly think he'd have more than four majors the difference with modern equipment particularly with the driver is it's just narrowed the skill gap at the very top end of the game instead of allowing people like I mean, you, do you remember? I mean, do you remember seeing Greg Norman, like in his peak, the way he hit a driver—it it was a thing in itself. It was a feat. It was an absolute. It was visually beautiful, and you don't sort of see that anymore now these days. That's not to criticise technology. Technology is—it's progress, right? You know, it's the Audi advert, isn't it? You know, technology through progress. Things change and and, and things move, but some things were also better back in the day.
0: there's nothing like a bit of wistful nostalgia is there i'm not sure some of the things you're saying are quite right i think there's there's a lot of funky swings on tour actually um i think one of the, the one of the big things that's made a difference and it kind of speaks to those funky swings is that now um launch monitor technology is telling us what the ball is doing telling us what impact is doing to the ball and that coaches these days are way more interested in the most efficient way of hitting a ball to maximise speed and maximise distance. Obviously, the piece of kit in your hand enables you to do that to a certain extent because you can hit it all over the face more. But I'm not sure it's fair to say there's no individuality in golf swings. I agree that shot making has been removed because people are often hitting from closer to the green. Um I guess, it's more
1: shot. Yeah, it's more shot making that I'm thinking about Tom when when I consider. I mean, yeah, you know, we've. Talk, we, I mean, Ralm's got one of the most individualistic swings that's out there, haven't there? This yeah, big, and Hovland, short, yeah, Hovland, ca- Matthew lo- Wolf on live, yeah. There's lots of there.
0: examples, but I think, I think, just to sort of pick up on his point, he he's very much saying, and that's a bad thing, and you're agreeing with him. The sort of counter view is that we should be celebrating how far people hit it and we should be celebrating speed and we, sh- we should be kind of awestruck by it in the same way that people are in other sports where people go faster, they go longer, they go harder, that we kind of go, wow, isn't that amazing? And in golf, we kind but of...
1: But int- we don't. We don't. We limit it. We limit it in tennis. We've limited it in baseball. We've limited it in F1. Mm. You know, when, when technology goes too far for the sport, It's limited. Um, I, I I don't think there is that kind of um, just ceaseless progress in a lot in a lot of other spots. Formula One cars is, is a good example, I think, because they could go much much quicker. Um, yeah. than they do. They're now going. They're, they're now reining things back, aren't they, to become more sustainable and, and things like that. But they could go quicker.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's as much to do with safety, isn't it, and p- potentially something to do with the environment, really, rather than worrying about. Uh, ancient golf courses being obsolete but I think that there are there are two sides to it I think is the point that I'm making and, and um, Billy has obviously stood there next to some of the great the game's great ball strikers but he's also stood next to 0.001 percent of the golfing population for most of his career and um, whereas there's the rest of us sort of struggling away and we will take any distance where we where we can get it. So you can sort of see why the game ends up with bifurcation because it does feel like the right answer. If we can find a way of restoring shot making to the upper echelons of the game and the most talented golfers, but we can keep the game, keep making the game easier for the rest of us, that's got to be the best of both worlds, surely.
1: The only people who think that golf is already not bifurcated are those who think that they're buying the same driver as Jordan Spieth or Rory McIlroy in the shops and they're not and they haven't for a long time um, the the equipment options that they get on tour how many of them are actually available to buy for the average club golfer can I go and buy the some of the shafts some of the you know can I just go to a tow truck and get my iron bent um, mm. to fit a particular lie or loft of my swing not really. I mean, I'm it, sure you could might, Steve. You know you know a lot
0: of people in a lot of high places.
1: But you know, but the, the game people people use this argument to say we have to play the same game. We want to play the same game that the pros play. You're not playing the same game that the pros, the pros play.
0: But they I don't but they, they're not playing the same game that the pros play and sorry to keep picking points in what you're saying but i don't think it's necessarily down to access to equipment i think it's more because you or i haven't dedicated our entire lives to being the best we possibly can be at golf and we haven't spent our life in a gym trying to do that um and we haven't been born with a a natural given talent that enables us to play the game at the highest level and we haven't had access to the world's best coaches etc etc um i've tried all those things at various different points but not with any sort of sustained effort and certainly not with the same amount of talent so like we're talking about exceptional people aren't we that's that what i think gets lost um and if we think that those people become so exceptional that the game is being uh dumbed down because of it then i think you have to limit equipment
1: yeah i mean the the joy for me is being able to follow in the footsteps of these people by playing the same courses that they do um it's not by playing the same equipment that they do because i don't go unless i'm feeling particularly masochistic i don't go to an open venue and go right i'm going to go right to the back tees because that's going to that's going to be a miserable experience for me and if i'm paying 300 pounds plus to go and play an open venue i want to have fun i don't know if that's a particularly good analogy but it's how i feel about the equipment thing as well i feel about it in a very similar way you know if i picked up Rory McIlroy gave me his driver I probably wouldn't be able to get it off the floor.
0: True say. Yeah. Anyway, it was a brilliant interview. Thank you very much to Billy for giving up his time to do it. It really Um, was. be be interested to hear what other people have got to say about uh, all of the stuff that Billy covered. Um, And I sort of notice you through gritted teeth listening to his master's comments. Only people who have been to the master's on many occasions kind of hope the week is over, Steve.
1: I just want to go there hopefully next year, Tom, and start talking about all the other cliches everyone does, like the pimento sandwiches and the hilly course. Couldn't, it doesn't look this hilly on TV.
0: Well, I've been corresponding with their uh, media officer all of the year, getting a fluffed up for you. So it's just down to you now to pen the right application.
1: Give me the form.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, see you again next week.